Hi everybody, Rob from the Hooked On podcast, How To Be Great here. Look, we enjoy doing what we do, for the love of it, it's wrestling, enjoy it, remember? But if you do feel like dropping us a few quid to help us out, be our guest. We don't expect it, but we will appreciate it. Thanks ever so much for your support. Don't forget, it's wrestling, enjoy it. Hi everyone, welcome once again to the Hooked On Podcast, delighted to be back with you and we are presenting today our record-breaking fourth Richard on the podcast, yeah that's right, actually it's just the second one of one of the three we've had on before, but we rather like Richards on this podcast, so after the success of Richard Young and of Richie Pemberton, we are bringing back for his second appearance, Richie Parr, how you doing Richard? Yes, I'm delighted to be back. Thanks for having me, guys. You've just interrupted me, though. I was watching a Facebook Live with Mojo Rowley. He was getting hyped, so I'm going to bring some of that to today's show. Um, you say Rowley, we say Rawley. Let's, let's, uh, call, let's call the whole yeah. thing hype. Um, I'll, I, what I have done, I thought you were going to say that I've interrupted the normal flow, which is I almost always uh, introduce my co-host first and then the guest afterwards, but I was so happy with my Richard stat. Um, to get straight in off the bat, I do need to bring in Paul Benson at some point. So um, here he is, Paul Benson. I feel like I might go on strike now. Why is that? I feel, I feel like I've been relegated down the pecking order. Well, you have, clearly. <laughs> Shall I tell you why? No, there, there is a reason, there is a reason for this. Shall I tell you why? Um, I, might, I may be getting this wrong, but uh, Rich, am I, right in, am I right in saying that you are a Brighton fan? I am. Premier League Brighton now. Premier League Brighton, still a possibility of being champions. Brighton, is that right? Yep, indeed. So, and uh, you, you, I assume know who I support, which is uh, Plymouth Argyle, who uh, can possibly be champions uh, this Saturday. So uh, uh, my team could still be champions, and your team could still be champions. Uh, standing in our way um, <laughs> are, are a team known as the Mariners from, uh, I believe, North Lincolnshire, um, who are called Grimsby Town, who happen to be. Paul Benson's team of choice. So that is why I'm being frosty with you this week, because you are the enemy, as far as I'm concerned, until about um, half past seven on Friday, on Saturday night. Well, until about 15 seconds ago, I've been telling everyone today that I was very much in the camp for the first time of wanting Plymouth to beat Grimsby. Oh, okay. Um, but I might revise that opinion now. No, you should always, always back your own team, mate. I would never have a problem with you wanting, you know, wanting well, your no, team I... to get the win. I think in certain circumstances where a win means nothing to us and a win means everything to you, uh, I think you can make an exception to that. Well, I, I actually, having spoken to and previously mentioned podcast guest um, Richard Young on the phone last night, and he let slip to me that, um, uh, another Grimsby fan, he let slip to me that basically Grimsby fans want Argyle to win the league because they don't like Doncaster. Is that right? Correct. Yeah, Correct. Correct. That's fine. We are happy You'll to... have four sides of the ground cheering you tomorrow. Well, we, all, yeah, we, will, we are happy to play that role. That is excellent. Um, I can already hear the people from all different parts of the world saying, shut up about football. You did this last time with Ash Rose. Talk about wrestling. Uh, so we shall. Um, first of all, if, you, uh, if you're not familiar with Rich, he's our first uh, return guest, I think, here on the, on the Hooked On podcast. And we've got 21 or so episodes in, and we've uh, brought 
someone back. But um, we felt you didn't get a fair crack last time, mate. You were the sort of last-minute guest from Paul's hotel room in a, in a fleeting visit from Blackpool um, when he was there for the uh, the UK tournament. So uh, we wanted to give you a, a full airing. Oh, thank you very much. Uh, I thought you guys gave me a room to speak last time, so I'm, I'm delighted that I get to speak a little bit more this time. It's Excellent. Great. Anyway, Thanks. that's plenty. Thanks for joining us. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, Richard Now, we want to... Uh, but it's been... A, listen, it's been a big week for you. No, this is a, it's, a, it's a coincidence of the scheduling, because we've had you um, coming on, to, uh, on this one for a little while, and we didn't realise quite how busy you were going to be this week. Do you want to tell everyone where you've been and what you've been up to? Yeah, I've been uh, back in Doha, Qatar. I lived there for a few years, and while I was there, I was doing some uh, ring announcing for a company called QPW, number one in the Middle East, and they invited me back for their Super Slam this past Friday, and it was a really good card, actually, with some big names, Rey Mysterio, Alberto El Patron, or Del Rio, as many people know him, uh, John Morrison, Johnny Mundo, um... Who else was there? Uh, Cody Rhodes. Yeah, lo- lots of uh, really, really top guys. And it was a really good show in front of maybe about two and a half thousand people there. Fantastic. So it was great to go back. Nice. Fantastic stuff. We should just point out that um, last week Ash Rose was on talking about his football team, um, who are from West London in Shepherd's Bush. And now you're talking about your wrestling group. Can we just say that QPR and QPW are two different things. It doesn't stand for Queen Park Rangers. Does it? It's, um, it's presumably Qatar Pro Wrestling, but um, the fact that you were involved with them and they've, because I think you're based back over here now, and you've asked me to go back out again. That's that's nice that you're still involved in it. It's not just a, you're not still out there, are you? So it's um, nice to stay stay involved. Yeah, and what I really like about them is it is a really nice group of people. Not only from the people which run it, but the wrestlers involved there now you know different locker rooms behave in different ways and and maybe because because they're treated so well out there and probably paid very well as well that they behave really well and everyone's really friendly to each other so it it feels like a bit like returning to family which is really nice fantastic any um any standout matches that you can uh, tell us about uh, Cody Rhodes versus John Morrison was really good. Ended in a um, double count out, unfortunately, but the whole reason for that was to set up another match later this year. They're hoping to do another show in October, and they're going to bring in um, Kenny Omega to make it a wow. triple threat match. Ooh. So that should be really good. And they're going to bring in Tanahashi for that show as well. So that'll be even more stacked. The uh, the hottest property on earth right now, with possibly the strangest name. Uh, not Kenny Omega, which is a fantastic name, but imagine saying to someone, this guy, right, he's one of the hottest properties on earth in wrestling, he's amazing, he can do everything, he looks like a badass, he's a great wrestler, he's got a great look, all these kind of things. So what's he called? The Killer? No. Um, is he called the, the Destroyer? No. What's he called? Uh, he's called The Cleaner. It's just, so it doesn't really trip off the tongue, does it? But um, bless him, he is, uh, he is outstanding. So that's a, that is something excellent to... Um, to put into that triple threat doesn't that show I mean Morrison perhaps slightly differently because they released him and, and whatever but um, Cody Rhodes and Kenny Omega two people who presumably Omega you know freelance well, I suppose he works for N, you know, NJPW full time but um, pretty much has been an independent wrestler throughout his career by choice I'm sure he could go to WWE whenever he wants to in these days um, I'm sure he's been approached in the past because he's excellent Cody leaving WWE TNA of his own volition doing his own thing but really successful going worldwide it does show that if you're good enough and you can plough the right furrow, you don't need to be in a big company anymore, do you? Like I'm saying, I, I appreciate that New Japan is a huge company, but you know Omega is, you know, just does his own thing as well. So well done to them, I think, for uh, ploughing their own furrow, but showing you can still be successful if you're good enough. 
Mm, something similar that Finn Balor did actually over there as well when he mm. was at New Japan as well. Yeah, AJ Styles. It's um similar yeah. similar sort of thing. But uh, is um would you like to see Omega in the uh, in WWE someday, or is he better off doing his own thing and not being uh, not being held back? I haven't seen enough of him to be honest but do you know what what I think about is if I look at the card that were at QPW for example so many of them make a really good living off the back of WWE in in many ways you know by him going to WWE even if it was for one year or two years immediately his his value as a wrestler as a person posts the career and for pretty much the rest of his life it would boost his social media even more and you know it would effectively get him more money so even if it was just for one year or two years i think it's worth it i don't understand anyone who wouldn't go to be honest what do you think paul yeah i pretty much agree with rich you know the the whole thing about the starving artist just really doesn't wash for me um, if you want to be on the biggest showcase, if you want to earn the best money, you've got to at least give WWE an attempt. If I was a wrestler and I didn't even make an attempt to get into WWE in my career, there would always be a massive what if. Um, to me, if you're not good enough, fine. You know, you can plow your own furrow elsewhere. But if you are good enough and you actively choose not to go to WWE, even for a short period of time, then I think that's a big mistake. It's... Um... It's possibly a bit of too deep a question to get into here because we've got other topics that we want to get onto, but maybe it's something we can sort of dip back into from time to time. Who would be, do you think, in this era, you know, when when it's been WWE dominated since 2001, since um, uh, since the the WCW purchase, who do you think is the biggest wrestler that's or the best wrestler that's not had a run in WWE that you think, man, I'd love to have seen that. The, the, it's probably the chance is probably gone now. The, um, well, okay, biggest or the best? The, the, not biggest, but the, the one that you would look at and go, man, I wish we'd had the chance to see them in WWE, because the one that you think the chance has probably gone. So I know who I've got in my mind. Um, well, one that immediately springs to my mind is Christopher Daniels. Ah, yes, that's that, who I was going to say. Yeah, well, me too, <laughs> me too, actually. So I was, saying, I, was, I was setting up the same thing. But yeah, I mean, just, yeah, just, I missed such a missed opportunity, I think. I think has you're right. Charlie, Charlie gone? I think so, and especially, you know, he's, he's that bit older than his contemporaries like Joe and Styles. The Fallen Angel character that was in ROH in sort of the mid-2000s would, would have been fantastic in WWE. It would have been a really good shot in the arm for both parties. But, yeah, I think he's probably gone now. I'd love to see him um, in NXT for a couple of shots and then transition into a trainer role. I think that would be a really fitting end for him. Yeah, I think did we mention that on the podcast a couple of weeks ago that I think we expected to see him in the uh, rocking up in the performance center within the next couple of years? He seems like the uh, the Adam Pierce sort of um, Sarah Del Rey formula would would work very well for Daniels that he would um, come across as a good trainer. But he certainly seems to me as if uh, someone that would would transition well. I agree with what you said about Omega. Surely you want to at least try it at one time in your life, don't you? And it's like even if it doesn't work, like Rich said, you can have a little bit of. Um, you know, you could then go do other shows based off of the fact that you were former WWE star, whoever, and at least to say you've tried it, and he's good enough that you could go back somewhere else and and get it done, couldn't you? So I, I think um, I think yeah. we're all agreed with uh, we'd like to see him have a go at it. Um, back to your um, back to your week um, with uh, with QPW. Um, so your role was um, ostensibly uh, ring announcing, was he, Rich? Ring announcer uh, in in the room for the booking of the show. Okay, cool. Um, 
which is uh, that's really been an honor to be honest yeah. uh, ever since i was with the company back in ooh, when was the first show 2013 um i've been in that room and i'll be honest the first time i was there i was absolutely shocked i was thinking what am i doing here and it i'm one of these people who i'll i'll be respectful i'll sit there quietly but if there's something which <laughs> i don't agree with i'll bite my lip for as long as i can and then i'll i'll say something and i'll do it in the in the most respectful way i can and that is to actually say if i am a paying fan which most of the time i am and i'm sat in the arena that doesn't make sense to me or i don't want to see that match on last or i don't want to see this combination and give my reasons for it and i'll be honest i'm in the room with people who've got 5 10 15 20 years worth of experience and so there's there can be some household names in there as well and to their credit they all give me a chance to speak and sometimes they take my ideas on board and sometimes they're completely thrown out the room and i'll be honest it's a real honor to get that it really is. I mean, the fair play. To, I didn't realise you had that. You had that. that is that is an honour. Um, wrestling is quite a, a closed shop in in many ways. They don't let people into the inner sanctum. So um, you must be doing something right and have earned some respect to uh, to be in that position. Trust me, everyone. That's not something people would do out of politeness. Um, the polite thing would be to say, just wait outside, mate, and we'll tell you when it's your turn. So um, um, they will only do that if uh, if it's a position of trust. So uh, so fair play. Um, I've often thought that. Um, I've often said this 75% joking but I feel that what all booking committees could do with on a, you know, as a sounding board is a 6 year old child because, oh. they, because they will tell you honestly that doesn't make any sense that does make sense they're not thinking about long term booking patterns and arcs and homages and references and whatever they'll just go that doesn't make sense and so often you watch something and go well why would this happen then like, if it's a if it's a, a no disqualification tag match, why is he standing on the apron holding the tag rope? You know, why doesn't he just get in there and hit him? And it's all those things which I think have absolutely done my head in over the years. Um, before I move on to somewhere somewhere obvious that that can take us that uh, may or may not have happened uh, on Sunday on pay per view. Um, <laughs> any other examples of of that sort of thing that you're allowed to give us? I don't want to you know blow. Um, blow your cover too much but it, uh, what can you think of an example Rich, that you, where you've said hang on a minute that doesn't make any sense uh, yeah um, on one of the cards they they had oh, I'll just say that they were going to have Rey Mysterio versus Alberto Del Rio and originally it wasn't going to go on last and I said that if I was going to come to the show that's the match I'd want to see so that's the match I'd put on last and at first it wasn't then it was and it wasn't then it was and eventually it did go on last so that was that was pretty cool. Fair dues. Um, Paul, anything jumped to your mind in terms of a, a pet hate or something that you might have that you wish you could just get into some writers and go, look, why don't you address this? Yeah, there is actually, and it's the it's a very recent phenomenon in WWE and it's laziness, and it's the amount of matches nowadays, specifically on television, that end in distraction and roll-ups. It is just so utterly lazy. You know, it's great that feuds intertwine and matches become sort of ways to forward feuds um, outside of the two combatants in the match. But it seems like every time on Raw or SmackDown that they go for that, the guy's music hits, the guy who's feuding with who's in the match gets distracted, looks towards the ramp, and then he gets rolled up one, two, three, and that's the end of the match. Every time. And I just... 
it drives me mad because it, it it's just so unnecessary. I know these guys got a lot of TV to write, but they just have to look at the past. They could come up with so many more creative ways of doing it than that. Yeah, I know, I know what you mean. I think perhaps we ought to cut a little bit of slack that, um, especially in a company like WWE where there's, you know, three hours of this show, two hours of this show, house shows, superstars, 205 live, pay-per-views. There is a lot going on, isn't there? There must be a time where they just go, oh, sod it. Just, no one's really interested in this undercard match. Just let's get on with it and move on. I'm not saying that's the right thing to do, but um, I suppose sometimes we're not in that position, are we? We can... Uh, we could possibly cut them uh, a little bit of slack. I, I know what you mean, but you know that you've got you don't have the same writers for all those shows, and just have a little deck. Just to, you know, if, if you're struggling, just have a little deck with ten or twenty of these type of finishes on. Have a little database if you need it, and then just have a quick look at that and go right, that one, that'll do, rather than going to the same one every time. Like a box of gimmicks, is that what you're saying? That's what I'm saying, mate. Like a box, box of, of finishes. Box of finishes. That's what we'll call it. Um, I want to um bring us from perhaps nonsensical things, things that want us to scratch our eyes out when we're watching wrestling. And apropos of nothing, House of Horrors, everyone. Oh, no. Um, oh, do we have to? Start, yes, we do, because there's a particular point that I need to make, and I'm going to make it last, but I'm going to go to Rich first and find out what he thought of it, and then uh, I want to see what you think, Paul Benson, because I, uh, there's another point to address here. But, uh, Rich, what did you think? It's, um, we'll come back to some other payback stuff later on, because I actually think payback was quite a good pay-per-view. But um, generally speaking, the uh, the House of Horrors match has been met with, I would think, universal disapproval. Um, do, do, will I add you to a, to a long list? Yeah, I just made that list. Um, <laughs> Very nice. Uh, not a fan at all. I love the bit before WrestleMania when Randy Orton blew up um, Randy Orton's house, set it on fire. I thought that was that was brilliant and the whole thing that maybe there was a sister abigail coffin underneath or or something like that what i didn't get about the whole house of horrors for me really is all right they've done these hokey camera shots yeah they're in the house and they've got these silly babies coming down okay fair enough we all know it's pre-recorded what i didn't understand is why not just have the match in the house the most frustrating thing for me is all right and I said this on my own show Sportachino, a little plug there, very Mick Foley but the whole point is is that why didn't they get someone to be a guest referee have it within the house and have it as almost a fool's count anywhere match in the house even if they brought back say a Mick Foley as like a mankind he's the only man brave enough or mental enough to actually go in that house but the whole fact that the stipulation was there out of the at this random house in the middle of nowhere and what they've got to do is they've got to get in the limousine why Bray Wyatt's in a limousine I know Randy Orton arrived in it surely he's got his own like tractor he can go in or something like that <laughs> and then get to the arena where the match continues then this is where your six year old comes in Randy Orton appears out of nowhere how has Randy Orton uh, got all the way back surely they don't have Uber where that house is and attacks Bray Wyatt and then the match continues in the ring and in between they've both arrived amazingly at the same time that the match before has just finished they've <laughs> been able to squeeze the match in perfectly now had they had the two come out in the middle of a match that would have been even more spontaneous and, and a bit more fun almost in like a 
a crash holly hardcore style match i think i'd appreciate that a little bit more but the, the whole stuff inside the house and the fact they had to get from the house to the ring it, just absurd really i think it would have been really good if they'd have every now and again on a pay-per-view like this they throw in um an extra match don't they if and if they hmm. just suddenly said oh we're gonna do oh i don't know it doesn't really matter but it was like just two mid-card guys or two tag teams or you know something or even if there was a you did a non-finish on the um on the pre-show and then you said oh we're gonna we're gonna start the match again later on in the show and actually that just gets interrupted by you know randy and bray i'd have been all right with that that would have been kind of a, a creative way of doing it but yeah it did cross my mind as oh that's isn't that incredibly convenient that he's arrived uh, between <laughs> matches um i was one of those that um because i um, stayed up and watched it live I don't get a chance to do that very often with their pay-per-views these days but uh, Monday being a bank holiday I stayed up and watched the the show live and I certainly tweeted it when it came into my head which at one point which was hang on it's pitch black and it's half past six on the west coast of America it isn't dark <laughs> you know it's not dark at half six well as we're recording this right now everyone it's a minute past nine in bloody England and it's not that dark here it's kind of it's it's, it's Dimpsy, as we call it here down here in Devon, but it's pretty dark. But it's it's only evening dark. It's not pitch black middle of the night dark. And we're supposed to believe in San Jose, California, it gets dark by six o'clock. Um, and m- many others after that have said, if that's the one thing that you can point out that's wrong with that match above everything else, <laughs> then you're a strange person. But it, I think those kind of things are important, and it's like I really do. So actually, there's quite a lot of the stuff in the House of Horrors that I would have let go in terms of the match content, all the babies dropping down and, and all that kind of thing. I could actually live with that if there's a way of explaining because they didn't do too much they didn't do teleportation or, you know, you know, all this sudden stuff. There is a way of explaining Bray has a lot of followers. So and this should be explained, you know, by Michael Cole or someone on non commentary, but to say Bray has loads and loads of followers. He has these people that inexplicably like him. It's not beyond the realms that he and his his strange people could have booby-trapped this house and could be standing around with lights just to freak Randy Orton out. It's nothing other than a trick of them trying to do it. Um, that's one thing they could have done. I think the main thing that annoyed me was that it was shot like a movie with a, with a score in the yeah. background, and it was meant to be quote-unquote live, and at no point did you see it. I think having cameramen scuttling around, if you'd have said this, there's two cameramen covering this, and it would have looked really unprofessional and sort of Blair Witchy, I think it'd have been really, really good. It'd have been so much better than this beautifully produced, um, you know, ho- attempt at a horror movie. Because I've, I've said this on before on, on my Twitter, which was that from WWE's point of view, if they were looking for, you know, that kind of thing in that kind of, you know, area, it was actually really, really well done. You know, the music was was built up nicely. The cameras, the camera shots were excellent. You know, the mood was good. I actually think it was quite good. It went on a bit too long, but generally speaking, I thought it was quite good, if that's your genre. But it's not... Where was Fox Mulder? (laughs) He could well have been. Alicia Fox Mulder. But no, I think there was... I thought it was quite a good effort from that point of view, but that's not the genre. It almost could have worked on, like, a Lucha Underground-style thing, where the cameras are acknowledged totally differently, and it's shot totally differently. But they still don't have this... They haven't got their head round... If I'm filming something, there must be a camera in the room. So even in, you know, backstage where Kurt Angle is reprimanding, you know, Enzo and Cass, they don't actually consider that there's a camera there. But how can the announcers see it? And it's all these little things that WWE would probably say, ah, listen to those idiots on a podcast stressing over these little things. But actually, it's important. I genuinely think it's really important. And it bothers me that they don't, and they rather 
would produce some sort of weird piece of art, then they would try and actually cater to the audience because clearly the audience doesn't want to see that, do they? Paul? Um, do you know, I, I, I'll start by saying I absolutely despised everything about this match. <laughs> Um, you know, it follows on. I've got pretty strong feelings about the Orton Wyatt match at WrestleMania, and this just continued to get worse in every single possible way. You know, from taking the title out of it to making it a complete afterthought by moving Bray to Raw. Look, he was on Raw the week before, not even giving a monkey's about Randy Orton. He was just dealing with the Miz or whatever else. It was so bizarre. Um, and then, like, you know, there's so many inconsistencies in it that you meant you mentioned the night and day one. That's an obvious one. The other one is the fact that Randy Orton had time to have a shave before he got to the arena, which was quite, you know, obviously he was appearing in front <laughs> of a crowd, so it's important that his presentation was was spot on. I'm very really appreciating even... taking the time. I never saw that. Really? Straight away. That. Straight away. Had a shave. Clean shaven. No. Idiot. Um, so that was that was an annoyance. Um, the whole setting of it was just so poor. It just, you know, what it reminded me of, and I, we've gone to this well before, but it was as if they want, they desperately want to try and recreate all the broken Matt Hardy stuff. But the beauty stuff about the Hardys bit was that it was so self-aware. It was ridiculous. And I know you didn't like it, Rob. It was ridiculous, but it knew it was utterly ridiculous. Um, whereas this took itself way too seriously. Um, I just, it just made me laugh in the wrong sort of way all the way through. It to me, I'd go as far as to say it's the wor- from start to finish. This is the worst angle I've seen in WWE in 20 years, and I'm not one for hyperbole. It's not really my style, but I really can't think of anything I've, I've despised more, and it's made me sour on the pair of them completely and utterly. It's just been dreadful from start to finish. Is that a is that a fair comment, Rich? Is it the worst thing in twenty years? No way. I think you're going to get a lot of comments on that <laughs> towards that. Uh, again, immediately, uh, my my brain kind of goes a bit dead because I wish I was that six year old because the six year old remembers everything and I'm now not six anymore and forget everything. But <laughs> I can't believe that is the the worst angle. I actually liked the feud. I liked the fact that they were a tag team and then Orton once again proved he was the Viper and turned on him and like I said I I liked the burning down of the house the Wrestlemania match wasn't up to scratch this latest match was not a match it was yeah nonsense Um, and uh, the one thing I I do want to mention is uh, it was as bad as when they tried to do the new day against the Wyatts as well, which was which was pretty poor. And you know, with those, those whole flashing lights come on, it reminded me. Do you remember that KFC advert where they had all the lights from the cars hanging around so everyone could play football? That, that, that's what that kind of reminded me of. And it, it's just just a mess. And I think they are desperately trying to be. Uh, like you say, do that broken Matt Hardy gimmick, and it's, it's just not working. I, I'm going to come back to you though with with a worse feud than this one, though. There's definitely uh, quite a few more. Paul, pop on the uh, on the hooked on events Twitter, uh, um, Facebook, I should say, and say we're recording a podcast just now. It's Paul's of the opinion that it's the the worst angle in 20 years. Is he right? And we'll be see if we'd be interested if we if we get some. Let uh, let, let some me do that, now. To that. While you do that, I'll um. I'll bring us on to the broken Matt Hardy stuff because I want to. I do want to address it because Paul is right to throw to me and you know reference the fact that you know I hate that as well 
And to me, I absolutely accept what you're saying, Paul, about it being more tongue-in-cheek. You're right, it was. And at times, it was relatively funny. But the point is, is that um, um, let's be topical. Um, Peter Kay's car share has just been, you know, been on BBC One. It's very popular and it's very funny, and um, people seem to really like it. You know, brilliant, hilarious, very funny, brilliantly put together, well acted. Um, but if you put it in the middle of Schindler's List, it wouldn't work. Now, I'm not comparing WWE Raw to Schindler's List, nor am I com- com- contrasting um, Broken Mount Hardy with Peter Kay. But what I'm saying is that. It's all about where it fits, and I, I would not have liked Broken Matt Hardy and all that stuff if it, was, if it was the funniest thing of all time, because it wasn't contiguous with the the narrative of Impact. If Impact was shot, again, like a little bit more like Lucha Underground, or if it was the whole Impact world was something a bit crazy, um, then I could live with it, but it isn't. It's presented as a sports programme, so there is no real difference, really, between watching Payback and watching the Joshua fight on Saturday night if you're a boxing fan. And could you imagine if on the under... Now, I know wrestling has a lot more scope, so could you imagine if, you know, various different characters, you know, like, you know, whoever else might be, you know, knocking around and doing promos and stuff. I get all that would be mad in boxing as well, right? I'm not comparing everything step for step. But effectively, if you chucked in something like the House of Horrors um, in the middle of the Joshua card or the Broken Matt Hardy thing... Boxing would become an immediate laughing stock and no one would ever watch it again. And it, I, I know that it's a different world, so I'm not saying we have to be everything completely real. But you at least want to have something, you know, that is kind of... Uh, I'm trying to think of... The, I'm desperately trying to think of a show. There, I'm sure there was a show that its last ever episode was absolutely panned because they did a weird dream sequence and took it out of its, you know, its what, what it was um, supposed to be and... You know, it got slated for it, and I can't for the life of me think of what it was now. It may have been The Sopranos, but there was there was something that got absolutely battered for its last ever episode because it was totally different, and they changed it. And the Killing did that. It's not The Killing that I'm thinking of, but I'm not saying for a second saying that the one I'm trying to think of is the only one that's done it. And I think it's a, I just think it's a mistake, and I just think as if I'm watching, sometimes watching wrestling, you get yourself immersed in it, and I am talking about when you are talking top of the show to bottom of the show on Monday Night Raw. I want to sit and watch it like I'm watching, you know, The Godfather, or, you know, go the other way and go, see, you know, American Pie. It doesn't have to be a sensible program. It doesn't have to be, um, you know, the the funniest thing ever. It can be anything, but it can be. It ought to be something that's consistent with the narrative. And the very, very best comedies have excellent plot to it, which stay within their plot. So even stuff like, um, even stuff that's, um, you know, a, a Star Trek or they've got their own world which they stick to they wouldn't suddenly go on to something else and change the narrative and that's the problem I have with the Hardy stuff and then consequently the horror stuff is that it doesn't fit on the right programme if you made an hour spin-off of, of Impact and you and you had it like that you know I wouldn't have a problem with it necessarily it's a bit like Mork and Mindy coming out of Happy Days it wouldn't necessarily bother me but in its own world I just despise it and I just don't think it belongs Rob, is there no place then for a Santino Morella Absolutely. on a show then? Absolutely, but, but where does Morella go outside of the narrative? Morella's a, a wrestler that is a bit of an idiot and has some fun and plays a pretend trumpet and whatever, but there's nothing that Santino does that's outside of the narrative that, say, Brock Lesnar does, except for the fact that Lesnar's a tough, hard case and Santino's a, a comedy figure. But he still turns up, wrestles, puts his trunks on, has storylines the same as anyone else but he doesn't go into a mad world where they um, have holograms and 
five camera shoots where you can't see the other cameras and music where there shouldn't be and mysterious shaving and whatever else we've picked up on on these <laughs> other things. That's my that's my issue. I love Santino. I'm not going to knock him. I think he's great. You think I'm being contradictory? I um I just don't agree, frankly, Rob. If I'm honest, I just think wrestling is a variety show, and I think there, as long as you keep the worlds fairly separate, then I think there's room for silliness, and then you can bring bring the audience back to where you want them in, in a, bit, a bit more serious nature. It's about it's about how you let the shows flow. If you went straight from say a Matt and Jeff um, escapade to a very serious world title blood feud then I think that's a problem I think you've got to have a buffer between them to sort of get the audience there like an amuse-bouche if you will the other the big problem that I see is when you mix the two um, Impact had that episode where they had every man and his dog come onto the Hardy compound including Bobby Lashley and you and I have talked about this before haven't we mm-hmm. uh, you, pick, you put Lashley in there and straight away you're putting him in that world him in that narrative and then yes you do ruin him for when he appears in the the show in inverted commas proper later um in the episode or in in future weeks but if you keep those if you keep those um elements separate i think there's a there's a place for everything as long as it as long as it obeys the its own self-contained rules this is to me it's it's not self-contained because it's on it's on the same show as something else so theoretically if Matt and Jeff were having a match on Impact with, I don't know, the American Wolves, right? And they're in the middle of the match, why don't they just hologram away rather than get pinned? You know, why don't they just, you know, bring Hurricane Helms in to do one match and then hologram him away? I'm not using very good terms here, but, you know, once you've established that you can do that, this is, I could send this into a fucking, you know, really, really weird, deep place, but, um, I always say that about religion. It's like, well, why doesn't he just magic stuff then? I happen to not be religious. Apologies if you are. But I tend to go, well, why doesn't he just magic things better? And that's the end of my you know, theology course. But I'm a little bit like that with these kind of things. Is that once you've done it... I, you've heard me on this podcast before, Paul. I was always down on Undertaker stuff because of it. Like, why wouldn't the Undertaker just disappear when he's getting pinned? If he can disappear around you know, at, at will... Back to what I was saying before about the Wyatt and Orton stuff, you had a chance to try and explain some of this stuff away. Like, you could have explained that Orton, when Wyatt wasn't looking, you know, managed to get round somewhere and hijack a production truck. Or he managed to get in the boot of the car when Bray wasn't looking. Or when Bray said, onwards, driver, it was actually Randy Orton driving. There are ways that you can explain these things, but they choose not to. And it drives me crackers, because if you just found a way of explaining it, then... I just don't think people would have a problem. I shouldn't be having to do the work for them. I think they should be having a place where they can say, okay, this is why we've done all this. And it comes down to the most basic things like, yeah, why did they have to finish the match in the um, in the arena? Because, you know, stuff like the, um, you know, I think, uh, I'm trying to think, uh, the, what was the name of the match that Shamrock and, um, Shamrock and, uh, was it Shamrock and Owen did it? Was it the lion? No, when they had the match in the dungeon and there was the lion's den staff, wasn't there? There was stuff that they did. Yeah, that, I think that... Shamrock was the referee. Yeah, um, I want to say Dan Severin was involved in there somewhere as well, but it's um, it's all a long time ago. But um, I'm saying that there are there how there is precedent for them having done things outside of the arena, which they've clearly filmed beforehand, edited together, and then put in. It really wouldn't have bothered me as much if they'd have said, "This was yesterday," you know, we've edited it. 
you know, here it is in full, and then you can explain why the music's on top of it and and all those kind of things. But maybe I'm just investing too much time and energy into a <laughs> futile um, piece of anger. But uh, we all seem to be annoyed about the same thing, but different things as the uh, as this is going along. I don't know if that's fair to uh, fair to say. Mm-hmm. Anyone got anything else we can get needlessly annoyed about? This is, after all, the podcast that me and Paul always say it's wrestling. Enjoy it. <laughs> and all I've all I've done is whinge for twenty minutes. Yeah, I've got a bit of a bit of a. Uh, I, I wouldn't say I, I want to whinge about it, but I, I, it just made me feel a little bit uncomfortable because one of the the hottest feuds right now is Braun Strowman against Roman Reigns. It was the main event of Payback, and you've just had Roman Reigns retire The Undertaker. He is now called the WWE his yard. He's supposed to be the man now for WWE, and on his first pay-per-view following WrestleMania, he loses. He loses to a guy who wasn't even on the proper card at WrestleMania, who was on the pre-show, who didn't even win in the Andre the Giant Battle Royal. And yes, they've teased this whole Braun Strowman, Brock Lesnar thing as well. And uh, so uh, this is a two-part annoyance. The the first annoyance is that, yes, Braun Strowman has defeated Roman Reigns. And uh, all right, how do you then back Roman Reigns? By, by doing this and yes alright he'll come back and he'll win another pay-per-view and etc etc and they'll drag it out could there be a triple threat with Brock Lesnar the other thing is right now the WWE are in Europe they are doing a whole load of dates and in the last 24 hours they've been in Rome I've seen lots of Snapchats I've seen lots of Instagrams of them at the Coliseum I've been there pigeon pooed on my, on my jumper not very nice but they all just seem to be having a good time <laughs> that wasn't and... a wish you were here was it? <laughs> Join Richard next week as he tells you where else pigeons have decided to poo on it. Um, there, there's a series. That's a partridge series right now. Hey, that's, I was, that was exactly what I was just about to say. The one, the one after monkey tennis is a pigeon <laughs> shitting with Richard Parr. <laughs> it's coming to sport a soon. <laughs> um, so... Uh, I don't know if there was any poo on Roman Reigns. A partridge Reigns among the pigeons. <laughs> <laughs> but um, Titus O'Neil decided to put up a picture of a group of them, um, all they're enjoying, and in that photo was Roman Reigns and Braun Strowman. Now it's, it's slightly blown up the internet of people saying, "Where is kayfabe? Kayfabe's dead." Everything like that. And I know we're in the kind of modern era and you know I, I was talking about things in the back in QPW and talking about how everyone's nice to each other and, and we all know that it is effectively a show we all know that in some ways you have to treat some of the guys in wrestling as almost like soap characters like it's neighbours they're a cast and they're performing the role of Paul Daniels or Hulk Hogan or whoever it may be but there's still also a part of me that they've made this feud really good and that they've made it really strong and it just felt really unnecessary that you needed them to have their wish you were here photo with Strowman and Reigns you know it, a little bit annoys me about the WWE series ride along when you see some of the faces and heels riding together i know it's not back in the day i know all the faces don't get in one bus now and all the heels go in another i know they mix together but there's part of me which wants you to just take it outside and that's what annoys me a little bit about twitter sometimes is 
the the tweets go sometimes in character and sometimes out of character and I, I sometimes i just want them to be consistent what, what are you, your guys thoughts on all of that um, we uh, we covered a little bit of this with um, with Ash Rose on the, on a recent podcast, um, which was um, certainly to offer my opinion of it. Um, in short, um, in terms of the Twitter thing, um, I think uh, I would tend to, if I was actually Bray Wyatt's not a very good example because he I don't think he has a, a personal Twitter, but um, uh, oh, give me someone here, oh, Finn Balor, right? Um, I think Finn Balor could have a Twitter, and Fergal Devitt could have a Twitter. And I think if on TV you refer to at Finn Balor, WWE or whatever his, his handle is, and saying, I really hate Bray Wyatt and I'm going to beat him at the next pay-per-view, that's fine. But you don't have WWE then you know, show the, the Fergal Devitt tw- Twitter, which is him as himself. I think, admittedly, that's difficult for people like, like Stephanie McMahon, who are you know, the, the same name character on, on TV. But to me... I think it's fine Steph saying on her bio, I play a bad guy on TV, as long as they don't feature her tweets on TV, if you see what I mean. I have much less of a problem with the Twitter stuff than a lot of people do. Um, And certainly when you say stuff about Ride Along and those kind of things, some of the most fascinating things that... um, that I ever watch and read and listen to about wrestling is the insider stuff. I think that's what people are really into these days mm. in terms of, you know, we've talked extensively on this show about um, uh, the Bruce Pritchard podcast. We obviously, uh, we're very excited to be working with Bruce later on this year um, for our shows in the UK. Check those out online if uh, you haven't already. Um, but Bruce's is based almost entirely on learning what's going on behind the scenes. Um, and stuff like Ride Along, um, to me, Again, it sits outside. If Ride Along was a 10-minute sequence in the middle of Raw, I would despise it because it would take me out of Raw's narrative. I really hate it when they do, here's a heel kicking the shit out of someone, and then in two segments later, here is the same heel doing a -a Make-A-Wish, or here's the same heel doing a a charity gig. It's like, oh my god, heels shouldn't do charity things. Or at least if they sh- if they do, they shouldn't be featured on Raw and SmackDown doing it. But I don't necessarily have the problem with them doing it and it being featured on the WWE website or something else. Because to me, it's outside of the outside of the world. Like when you watch, you know, they're trying to capitalise with the Raw talk and 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 smack talking smack and that kind of thing on on shows um, that follow other shows on the, the kind of aftermath shows. But even on um, I, I now can't think of any of those, but um, like The Walking Dead will be on, and then there'll be a show straight after The Walking Dead, won't there? I think it's called The Talking Dead, which is talking about the show you've just seen. Mm-hmm. But although they won't be spoiler-driven, they will be on The Talking Dead. They don't treat The Walking Dead like it's a real issue. They don't think it's a news story. They talk about it like a television programme. So I have no issue with um, any of the shows, whether it's you know Legends with JBL or whether it's you know, Ride Along or WWE 24, which is an excellent show or excellent um, mm. series of shows. I have no issue with those breaking the fourth wall, breaking kayfabe, whatever you want to call it, um, because to me they're outside of the world. And so, generally speaking, I don't have a problem with this photograph um, because I know I'm a grown-up. And I know that these lads will probably be friends. One of the best pictures I've ever seen is a, there's a really cool sort of just pre-Attitude Era photo on a bus on a tour with about ten guys on it, which has got Taker and Diesel and the Godwins and Paul Bearer and Sean and loads of them on it. And it's it's a really cool photo of the guys enjoying themselves, looking laid back. And um, I like those peaks behind the curtain. I think that's fine. And, you know, just to round it off, um, well, it was the Coliseum, wasn't it? The, uh, the picture was taken? Yeah. That's right, yeah. 
So um, working in lots of things there. Coliseum home video, of course, for one. But um, Titus, um, you know, Titus, Titus Andronicus, a big famous um, Roman uh, figure. And most of all, if Reigns is in it, and given it's in the capital of Italy, you, the old saying is, when in Rome, do as the Romans do. So if he, said, if he thinks it's okay, then it's cool by me. <laughs> I love it, mate. You just used that as a vehicle for the top punish, didn't you? Uh, a little bit, but ge- generally speaking, um, I, I, I don't have a, I don't have an issue with it. If they were to use it on television, I would think it would be one of their stupidest decisions ever. But um, Braun they, Strowman they is not Braun Strowman. No, they won't. But Braun Strowman isn't Braun Strowman, is he? He's, he's a, he, I don't know his real name, but he's no. a dude that plays Braun Strowman, and so. I have I see no reason why he can't have his picture taken in the same picture as Roman Reigns, the same way that um, that uh, I immediately can't think of any good examples, can I? But that um, you know whoever plays Lex Luthor in a Superman film can't have his picture taken with whoever's playing Superman. To me, it doesn't matter. You're going to have your picture taken on set, or they can't appear together on Jonathan Ross or something. It's to me that's well, nonsense. Funnily enough, they if you pay close attention to like press junkets and um, things like Jonathan Ross, you don't ever see the villain and the hero in a film appearing together. That is true. Uh, it is rare. I'll, I'll grant you, you that. It, it's rare. You know, but that said, I agree with you. I don't really have a problem with this. Kayfabe's long dead. Um, and, you know, putting I, we talked about this a lot last week about the Twitter accounts and keeping characters separate from real life. It'd be ideal, but it's really, really difficult to do. And if these guys want to put a picture out... Like you say, who cares? If, if it affects your enjoyment of the feud going forward, then I think you've probably taken it a bit too seriously. I tell you Do what you I would say. He... Sorry, go on. Just really quickly, I don't want to cut in, Rich. Um, really quickly, um, what I would say is if Titus had come to me, if I was in some sort of um, advisory role in the company, um, if Titus had come to me and said, oh, I tell you what, work it from a, a QPW. If, if Titus is working in QPW and he comes to Rich and says, um, Rich, what do you think, mate? I'm, I've taken this picture. I'm not quite sure whether to put it out. If you're making the call at that point, you go, nah, it's not worth it, mate. Just leave it. Just don't put it out. It's not It's not worth the hassle. If I was asked, would I put it out there? I'd say, nah, Titus, just leave it. Put it on your Facebook where it's private. Put it on your Instagram if you don't share your Instagram. But you put it on Twitter, which you've got millions of followers or hundreds of thousands of followers. It is a different thing. It's not. It's probably not been worth it. Um, you know, for the I mean, it's, it's a good picture, but it's not amazing. Um, you know, it's for you. That's for you and your mates, really, not for the for the world. Um, so, if you know, if you could turn back the time a, cu- a couple of days, I'd probably say don't don't share it. But I don't think it's in, enough of a, a problem to um, to get all that worked up about. Not personally. Do you think people have got more worked up about it? Because again, we we've kind of been talking about things which happen in the ring, in the arena, and kind of outside of the ring, outside of the arena. And that whole thing with um, Braun Strowman when he, he lifted the ambulance and Roman Reigns was inside and he's all bandaged up. That was a big angle. They haven't done something like that for, for quite a while. In the minds of a wrestling fan who very often sees a, an, an attack in the ring and then their superstar return back the following Monday and is pretty much unharmed, do you think it's because they've done such a big uh, event that they've done something so big around this angle that and that it's outside of the ring that people have gone, oh, well, it was in an ambulance and it was outside the, the ring and they should keep everything which is outside the ring outside and they should keep the feud going? I don't know. I don't know what I feel about that. You answer that one, Paul, because I don't know. 
I just, I just, like I said, I just think that we live in a world where what's on TV is on TV and what's off TV is, is, is not part of the continuity. And I think that people really should understand that if they don't. Um, it, what happens in those three hours or two hours during the week counts. Everything else is just, just noise. And we're, we're taking it way too serious if we have a problem with it. I'll tell you what, I'll use that third question to answer your first one which was you talking about essentially something I hadn't thought about really but it was a really good point of yours by the way I realise you've taken over this show a little bit you start, you started asking the questions and then <laughs> suddenly you've twisted this which is quite skillfully done I, I allowed Paul Benson the hosting duties for a week and he was atrocious <laughs> I'm not, I've not even I've not even tried with you and you've just smoothly taken it over so fair play to you um, it's easier to ask the questions than answer them at times Rob. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, fair point yeah well as we're finding out with me doing it but um I hadn't even thought about Strowman beating Reigns at the pay-per-view after Mania where Reigns beat Taker. Um, so it's a fair point to bring up. But I will go back to the six-year-old analogy, or I shouldn't say six, that's a bit young to be watching wrestling, but the ten-year-old analogy. Um, if the ten-year-old thinks it's real, for example, if he's in a world where he's looking at this and it's a real deal, and you go, well, how come your guy Reigns, who beat Undertaker at WrestleMania where Undertaker's unbeatable, loses to Strowman, eh? And the kid will go, well, Reigns is hurt. Because Strowman, as a you know, as a bad guy, when he shouldn't have, beat up Roman and put an ambulance over and threw him off a, a, a stage and beat him up. Well, of course he's going to win because he's a big giant. And, but you then go, when Roman's fit, then he'll beat Strowman. That's the story to tell. And again, they don't do it explicitly enough. The baby faces aren't good enough baby faces on commentary. And can I just say, by the way, I thought Michael Cole was really, really good during payback. There are times where they let Cole go a bit, I think, and they say to him, just just announce. And when he's into, into matches, some of Cole's best ever work. Someone mentioned it to me on Twitter when I, I said something about Cole, and they said Cole's never been better than when he did the UK tournament. And it's a really good point. Cole was brilliant in that tournament. He got really invested. He understood who they all were. He'd done his research. And it's like, when you allow Michael Cole to just be a commentator and just comment on matches, he's actually really good. It's when you've got to stop him doing the dorky Michael Cole stuff. Um, and I love Corey Grace to death. I never thought Corey Grace would be any good because I thought, well, you know, what have you done, mate? How can you possibly sit in this position? He's amazing. He's absolutely yeah. amazing. Booker T is atrocious and should never be allowed on a headset ever, ever again. <laughs> because Booker T, they present him... If they presented Booker T as a heel, I wouldn't necessarily have a problem with him. But they present him as this wise old legend. Oh, we're so happy to have you back, Booker. We love having you on the panel. Oh, it's, it's the Hall of Fame of Booker T. And then he talks utter bollocks. And it's like, and the heels will come in and do a sneaky win. And there's Booker going, Oh, you've got to do whatever you can to get a win. And it's like, no, mate. You're the babyface. You should be saying... You know, oh, there's there's a way of winning, and that's not the way. And you know, I know I've you know I've had my fair share of times when someone's cheated to beat me, and I hate it, and it's not on. And you know, that's what you do as a babyface commentator. Don't st take the heat off them by saying, yeah, fine, do what you like. It doesn't matter. It's all in a set of competition. If that's fine, then there's no heels, and then there's no wrestling because it doesn't work because you need to have antagonists. And you know, when the babyfaces are on their money. And they're being scripted in the right way because clearly things that Cole and Booker and um, whoever else, you know, David Otunga when he's back, clearly what they say is directed by what's in their ears and what's in their ears should be saying to them, Roman Reigns lost to Braun Strowman fair and square, but 
Roman Reigns wasn't. And listen, I have I actually haven't seen Raw yet, so to to be fair, maybe they did address this on Raw. Maybe I'm being too harsh too soon. But on Payback, they did not say, you know, Roman he gave a really really valiant effort, but he's hurt. And when he's 100% fit, he'll be fine. If we watched a game of football, lads, if we watched a a game between I don't know Chelsea and Tottenham this weekend. You know, two teams going in for the title, but Chelsea had a full strength side out, and Tottenham were without five of their best players, and Chelsea won one nil. We'd say, okay, Chelsea won that game fair and square, but you wait till Deli Ali's fit and Harry Kane's fit and Hugo Lloris is fit. That's what you'd say, wouldn't you? That would be a fair pundit's answer to say Chelsea deserve the win on the day, but wait till they play next time because Tottenham will have some men back. And I think they should treat things a little bit more like a sport in that way, and have the the hero commentators that's not a very good expression but the, the you know the blue eye commentators saying you wait till Roman gets his own back and I think that's what the 10 year old would say and that's why they're probably um, more worth than the, than one would realise Paul agree? Um, yeah uh, I, I qualified find this, yeah I, I, do you know what I'm I'm Mr. Depressing on this podcast tonight and, and it's it's a real shame but I, I find the state of commentating in professional wrestling, full stop, pretty pretty harrowing. Um, Dean Ayas is good. Oh, Dean Ayas is good. Overrated. On Flow Slam. Overrated. Overrated. Sloppy. Badly researched. <laughs> <laughs> no, in all seriousness, you know, I, I think it's, it's not... It's one of those things where the commentary isn't for us. The commentary serves a purpose that is different to what we want it to serve now, and that's to push the product, push the content, uh, and push the branding... Whereas we wanted to describe the matches, and you look at guys like Corey Graves is a fantastic example. Excuse me one second. <clears throat> he, he's really well thought of. He's a really good announcer, and I like him just as much as you do. Now, it, you, you, there's a there's a pattern that we've seen in in announcing over the last few years, and that pattern is when someone comes in new and fresh, they're very very well received. People like them a lot, but then the longer they go on, the less less fond people are remember back 10 years ago people were exclaiming how great JBL was um, and over time they become part of the system their style changes and they lose that interesting spark that made people like them in the first place and I just think it's inevitable for anyone so th- there has to be nowadays to keep it interesting that that sort of high turnover of announcers but in general guys it's depressing David Atunga uh, Booker T, you know Michael Cole's good on his day when he wants to be. Jerry Lawler has long since given up the ghost. It's just a real poor, poor sort of part of the product, really. But again, I, I go back to the fact that what they're being asked to do, they do really, really, really well. But it's just not what we want to hear from our announcers. The days of having Jim Ross call the match with colour commentary from the heel, Jerry Lawler, and making it entertaining, um, unfortunately, long gone. I'd actually really like to see them change it up a lot more. Like, we know what the Raw threesome is, we know what the SmackDown threesome is, or however many they have. Um, I'd like it to be one week, Michael Cole does Raw with Kane, for example. No, for no reason, no storyline reason. Just Kane does... I think, for one reason, is that I think Glenn Jacobs would be really, really good as a commentator. Um, So would Big Show, if it wasn't for the fact that he's got a weird-sounding throat. But... Um, I think both of those would be really, really good commentators because they're quite bright guys. Mick Foley was really good for that short stint. You know, CM Punk was good for CM his Punk stint. CM Punk was brilliant. 
Um, who was it? Okay, who was it? I said the other way when Rollins, when we thought Rollins was long-term injured, I said let Rollins be a commentator. He'd be so good as a commentator. And it's like in a similar way that they, they that's what they did with Savage, didn't they? And then they had Savage come out and have yeah. wrestling matches and whatever. I would be all for just saying this week it's Cole and Graves, and then next week it's Cole and Graves, and the week after it's Cole and Kane, and the week after it's. Um, Tom Phillips and Kane and the week after it's Michael Cole and Jerry Lawler just change it all the time don't have the same three people on every week yeah. especially if they're terrible like Saxton's terrible and it's like if if they, Otunga's actually got re- a lot better and I think Otunga will be even better on Raw when he doesn't have JBL overshadowing him but um, I, I, so I'm impressed that Otunga has improved especially given that his entire WWE career was a sort of a, an obnoxious sidekick heel He's actually quite a sensible, um, you know, no-frills babyface. I think he's got a lot better. You listen to the things he says, they're quite good. It's the way he says them. I think he needs to be a little bit more, you know, of a, you know the, the character that he can be um, in the way he does it and stand up to people a bit more. I'm quite looking forward to him standing up to Corey Graves. I think that could be quite a good dynamic. But no, I just, generally speaking, again, go back to the football analogy, it's not the same people that commentate on every match. It's not the same people that are the pundits on every match. They change it around, sometimes depending on what teams are playing or the availability or whatever it might be. Same with Match of the Day. If you watch Match of the Day on a Saturday night, it's not always the same people. It's usually Lineker, but it's not always the same people with him in the studio. And I don't I see think, why they don't do that. I think it'd be great to see. And there's a few examples going going back in time about when you've got these wrestlers that have come on. And the one that springs to my mind is when CM Punk did a few weeks when he was injured in the Raw commentary booth just before the whole pipe bomb thing. And he was fantastic. He, he was, was absolutely super. brilliant. And, you know, who's to say that Fandango, for plucking a name completely out of thin air, wouldn't be a brilliant commentator? I'd love to see more guys given a chance. Maybe when they're injured, when they're not doing anything, just come in and have a go. And yeah. some some are going to be terrible, and you you almost want to replace them halfway through the show. Quick, send for a tunga. You know, it can't get any worse. Um, well, maybe the or, maybe the thing to do is to not give them the whole show. Then it's a three-hour show. It's a difficult thing. Well, have ha, have Michael Cole do the first hour with someone, and the second hour with someone, and the third hour with someone. I think. And just, I think and, you know, in all in nice idea on paper but you do need some consistency because the audience just get confused um, I think you do you know having having it different guys for each show is fairly radical enough without changing it every hour um, Fair point. but um, but yeah I'd be all for having a guest commentator every single week and you get some guys where they come and do a commentary for one match don't you it's like a guest commentator to, to further a feud and most of the time it's pretty bland um, a lot of the time it's all focused on that match occasionally you do get a guy that you think hang on he's got something here and it might not always be the guy you expect well in fact, in fact I'll, I'll, I'll let Rich have a have a little say here because I feel we've left him out a little in the last couple of minutes but I have someone certainly in mind that you know at some point in the not too distant future I think could be a, a lead heel commentator for a long time um, Rich anyone that springs to mind for you? Uh, not at the top of my head but as soon as you said Fandango and you're talking about commentators just one thing has just come to my mind and it's all I can really think about the last two minutes or so and I wanted to ask you guys this question is Byron Saxton how is he doing questions again Paul what's going on he's <laughs> <laughs> just been turned around the show there was, no, a, reason, there was a reason I invited him on yeah, I can see what's going on now. This is like when Harvey Whippleman said he was going to drop a bomb on The Undertaker because of what he did to Kamala. Richard Parr is giant Gonzalez. Go on, carry on, mate. I do uh, beg your pardon. Is Byron Saxon 
the worst dressed man, not just in wrestling, but on television, full stop. <laughs> <laughs> well, not even in wrestling, Rockstar Spud. But um, I suppose he's meant that's meant to be a heel um, drawing heat, isn't it? Um, I've not really massively thought about it, to tell you the truth. Seriously, um, if you've uh, if you've got epilepsy, don't do this. But if you get a moment, just search Byron Saxon on Google. Click images and it is it's more colourful than the New Day's outfits. It is incredible. <laughs> you do realise we're both doing that as you speak. <laughs> I'm, I'm really I'm really not. It's it's the green shirts. It's it's the big blue. It's the big bold colours. It is it's, it's horrific. Um, seriously, he dresses in the dark. Paul may have been doing that as we speak, but I'm in fact um, just opening up and enjoying my third bottle of uh, Peroni Nastro Zero Gluten Free, bottled in the UK by Millerbrands.co.uk. <laughs> if you're out there, Miller, up. still still waiting on the sponsor for the tour, Miller. If you're out there, yes. Hashtag Peroni Gluten Free Time. Anyway, back to uh, back to business there. Um, I will say that um, um, I think the Saxton thing's been a bit of a disaster all round. It just doesn't really work for me. Um, if they were going to do anything with him, I could sort of see them him being the sort of the stooge um, interviewer. You know how they used to do with Michael Cole and Kevin Kelly years ago when the 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 Rock. More about the Rock later on in the podcast. But when the Rock used to sort of belittle them, um, I would almost see Saxton more doing that role than I do the role he's in because he just basically sits there and he's quiet and doesn't really say anything and. Um, I don't really get what he's for. I could be really harsh and say what he's for on one level, but I'm going to leave that. Um, but uh, the one person that springs to mind for me that one day will be a, a magnificent heel commentator is The Miz. Mm. I can just see gradually over time just have The Miz do that. Yeah. Very much like Savage in terms of you could still have him be an active wrestler and just every now and again come out and do feuds and whatever, but he is such a good talker. It's unbelievable. In fact, he's actually a little bit too... He could be... Miz could be a good babyface. Um, you know, if you're going to do a three-man booth, Miz would be a good babyface one too at some point because he he knows the right thing to say. He knows when to talk sense. Um, he'd be fantastic. So would Jericho actually. I don't think it's the kind of thing Jericho would want to do. I think he's happy doing his thing, coming in and out. But um, so I think once Jericho's done with his in-ring stuff, I'm not sure you'll see a lot of Jericho other than the the appearances the same way that everyone else does, like Edge or. Bret Hart or whoever when they come in for one show as a, if it was in the area I don't see a lot of Shawn Michaels for example when it's coming to a big show I don't see Jericho coming in on, on, as a manager or as a commentator but I think he'd be a really good commentator um, mm. because I think he's he's got the intelligence you need that little bit of extra intelligence to do that job um, just to understand the nuance of when to speak when not to speak you know when to belittle someone and JBL has it JBL is fantastic he just every now and again Either he's pushed to do something, or um, maybe he just gets a bit carried away. But JBL at his best is 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 really really good. I thought Aries was good. <sighs> Aries was the name I was going to go with as well. I wasn't keen of Aries. I'll tell you why. Is because to me he was a heel commentator. It, he was he was talking about himself a lot, and they would the the matches beyond. They go yeah, this is quite good, but I'm better. And it's like, to me, that's a heel thing to do. But it was clear that at some point he was going to come in and challenge Neville and be the babyface. And to me, Austin Aries is a, is a born heel. He's a heel through and through. Dirty heels, as they said in, the, in TNA. Um, and I just, I just... 
that was the problem I had. I didn't think he was a terrible commentator, but I thought I thought he was miscast. And I thought to begin with, I thought he was nervous, but once he got himself going, um, I, I thought he uh, I thought he got better. Yeah, I really um, I really liked him. I thought he was yeah he was a heel commentator. And to be honest, you've got a really decent point there because he was he was babyface at the time. But come what may, I think when he does finally call it a day, I think he's gonna. If he wants to be, and they want him to be, he could be phenomenal in that role. Yeah, there is a. There's definitely a place for him. Um, just really quickly, guys, we haven't talked a lot about payback, and I don't want us to go into a uh, a long, long um, review of the whole show. But um, generally speaking, some um, some overall thoughts, some upsides, some best matches, that kind of thing. Starting with you, Rich. Um, I, I like the the way they they're going to continue the the Neville Aries feud. Um, I, I really like Neville as a heel. I think he's he's really good. Uh, I was surprised that Alexa Bliss became champion. I thought they might keep it on Bailey for a little bit longer, but I, I can also understand that uh, part of the charm of Bailey is is her kind of going after the title and trying to become a champion. You know, kind of the the. Uh, underdog type feel um Seth Rollins versus Samoa Joe it was that's a kind of match where I felt that it's not gonna help either one whoever loses you know they, they couldn't have Seth Rollins lose because he's just beaten Triple H but then in the same sense where are they going with Samoa Joe right now he he is such a great character he's such a good wrestler and it just still feels that they don't know what to do with him okay um paul i have some payback general thoughts i uh, i'm going to contradict actually what i said to rich um earlier in the week. rich asked me on his podcast on his um, sports chino show earlier in the week to talk payback and i couldn't do it um scheduling wise but i said the other the other thing is rich i, I don't really want to come on and be negative um, and the reason is because you have to start with the top matches and I, I unlike tonight where I've just let it rip I really didn't want to come on and just be all negative poo pants about about Wyatt Orton um, that aside I thought it was a decent in-ring pay-per-view um, I looked at some good solid matches I loved 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 loved, loved the Cesaro Sheamus heel turn and I even I, and I love their justification for it on Raw the next night. I thought that they're going to be such a good kick-ass heel tag team. I can't even wait to see that play out. Um, I, I really enjoyed Rollins, Joe. I agree with Rich that it was. It's tricky to see where Joe goes from here. I hope. I hope he gets maybe something to to, to get his teeth sunk into. It's a bit more substantial than just playing second fiddle to Rollins and Triple H. Um, I thought it was very odd that there were no. Um, male singles titles defended at all. I thought that was a bit of an oversight. But uh, yeah, I thought. Whoa, 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 yeah. whoa, whoa. U- US title. Oh, my, sorry, my bad. No, Raw men's title, sorry, is what I meant. My bad, my bad. But um, overall, I thought, you know, what was there was quite good in ring. I thought the problem we faced is that with the uh, Superstar shakeup being just a couple of weeks ago and this card already being pre-formed by then anyway I thought it left it in a bit of a bad spot to feel meaningless and important I thought it was it was very much a placeholder um, completely skippable but if you did decide to watch it um, there, was, there was plenty there to keep you entertained the Jericho Owens match was really good, by the way. I think uh, I, I really yeah. like I really like the end of it. I thought it was really clever with with the whole finger thing. 
and um, and I think it was a surprise of, of Jericho winning as well. Yeah, right. agreed. I, I, I missed that entirely. Yeah. Um, quite an interesting point actually about the um, the the championship matches that um, the first four matches on the show were all title matches and the last three none of them were, even though one of them included wow. the uh, the WWE champion in uh, in Randy Orton. But um, uh, I really liked the main event for the story that they told. Um, I'm not a big Strowman fan, as people will know from this podcast. We have talked over and over about um, uh, about uh, Roman Reigns. That doesn't need to be going over again. But I thought for where both of them are, for what they're trying to tell, um, I thought it was a really good main event. I thought they did the right thing at the right time. I didn't like the fact that Rollins and Joe in the match previous told kind of the same story, which was Rollins being injured and Joe picking on that body part. In isolation, I really like that match because I like the psychology of it. I liked the roll-up finish, which told you that Rollins is smarter and quicker and cleverer than Joe, but he's not necessarily tougher. So I, d- I didn't think it did either man any harm. I thought that was a really nice finish. Um, I just don't think we should have done the injury match versus the injury match, you know, one after another. Um, clearly, the House of Horrors was nonsense. We talked about that. Um, Alexa beating Bailey. Um, I love Alexa, and I think she's one of those that I think everyone has fallen in love with her over the last six months. What a great job she's done. Um, the big problem, I think, is that I think Bailey's kind of done for. I don't know what you do with her anymore. I think you've told the Bailey story. It's it's been done. It's been done in NXT. It's been done in WWE. Um, girl who really likes wrestling, who's really likable battles and battles and gets there and wins the title that's it that's the end of that story and you can't turn a heel um and in fact the only way that you can turn a heel is that i i sense that the crowd are eventually maybe when i say eventually in the next year gonna get fed up of her and it's the same old sort of nicely nicely bailey story and they'll get fed up of her the same way that the fans have got fed up of cena now cena was good enough to rise above and work out a character that could work between the two and is a damn good wrestler i don't think bailey's as good a wrestler as people say i think she's good and i think she's been in some i think she's been in some very good matches and i love her character to death i want to say that that i love the bailey character i think it's magnificent it's been perfectly portrayed wonderfully told in nxt not so well told in wwe but i think she's good in the ring but I think she's been in the ring with some very very good opponents and I think all of her good matches have been against um, Sasha and Charlotte and uh, Asuka and they're all really really good and I, I'm not sure Bailey is at their level as a wrestler she's not as good as all of them she's not as good as Mickey she's not as good as Becky Lynch um, I just think it's going to be and she can work the match against Nia Jax because that's the big you know the, the little baby face against the big heel routine but generally speaking I just think they're going to struggle with Bailey. I don't know where they go with her um, to me the, the stories are done we can come back to that in just a second if you want um, I agree with you about the, the Cesaro Seamus turn Paul in its execution and, and whatever I just couldn't help but feel I have a little bit of a pang that I really love the Seamus and Cesaro team as a kind of pair of kick-ass lad baby faces and so I think they'll turn heel and I think they'll just get cheered more because they'll now start doing horrible stuff and when Strowman does horrible stuff he gets cheered I just think they'll cheer Cesaro and Sheamus more they won't boo them maybe um, um, and then yeah that's pretty much covered it I think um, p- plenty of people were down on the uh, DQ finish for Aries and Neville I didn't have a problem with it to me it's the kind of finish that if you go to once in a blue moon uh, or once in a, you know, in a wee while you can do the old um, pull the ref finish um, because it's clearly a cop out and clearly 
um, Aries deserves to get another shot at Neville and they're always great matches so those things don't bother me and Jericho Owens has obviously been played out um, uh, as the week's gone on um, I love the fact that it was a little bit of a surprise um, because so many people oh it's just so obvious that Chris Jericho is going to lose because he's leaving it's like well that got you didn't it everyone for being uh, so smart about things um, so overall, I thought it was a really good pay-per-view. If you, just, if you just take out that House of Horrors, it's a pretty solid show. It's not one in ten years' time we're going to go, God, remember Payback 2017? But for what it's meant to be, which is a non... Um, you know, an, an off... It's not, it's not the main brand pay-per-view. It's, it's not a SummerSlam. It's not anything like that. So for a three-hour knock-off pay-per-view, apart from the House of Horrors, I thought, you know, B-plus all round, apart from that abortion. We won't remember it because we're not six years old. If we were six, we would remember. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, we are gradually creeping into um, uh, dementia, all three of us. Think, so <laughs> clearly, clearly a problem. Um, anything else to say on the uh, on the pay per view, boys, before we move on to um, uh, our new-ish segment? Nope. Nope, not okay. for me. Before we do, um, we're going to do in a second, we're going to talk about the uh, the best of times and the worst of times. The second in our new series, last week we featured um, mainly the best and a tiny bit of the worst of the career of Brett the Hitman Hart. We are going to do the same in a minute for Dwayne The Rock Johnson. Rocky Maivia, Flex Kavana, call it what you will, but we're going to be doing the career of The Rock uh, very, very shortly. Uh, but before we do, um, we do want to... Uh, push you in the direction of our tour which is coming up in July the uh, the Hooked on Wrestling, Hooked on Events brand is taking a new turn, you probably know us uh, for doing our pay-per-view live events all over the country do not worry, they are still continuing we will have SummerSlam details very shortly in the next few weeks um, but for now um, we are bringing over Bruce Pritchard, the star of the Something to Wrestle With Bruce Pritchard podcast which is taking the wrestling podcast world by storm um, this week, this week um, in particular, Bruce has added a few more live shows to his repertoire going all over the US. Um, but the first time, possibly the only time, who knows, uh, that he comes over here to our shores uh, is this July. In association with Hooked on Wrestling, we are bringing him over. And Paul is about to tell you in which cities and where you can get tickets. Thank you very much, Rob. Yes, we are bringing him over three dates. Um, we're going to start in Birmingham at the Around the World Bar on July the 16th. That's a Sunday. Um, from there we're going to move on to Manchester at the Comedy Store fantastic venue which is going to be Monday the 17th of July uh, we'll finish up the tour in our spiritual home of the Walkabout uh, Temple in London on Tuesday July the 18th um, we're going to have three shows with three completely different topics by and large um, Bruce, is or, or Bruce and Comrade together along with Rob have already started cribbing for these shows and I've seen a little bit of the content and I'm, I, I've already seen stuff that I um, had never heard before ever so I really can't wait to, to, for these guys to share it all with you um, tickets are available now for all the venues um, starting at £25 for our general admission tickets up to 55 for VIP and £100 for the top class all singing all dancing platinum VIP package um, you can get those tickets from hookedonevents.co.uk which is our own website uh, you can also go to wegottickets.com or ringsideworld.co.uk. You can check us out on Facebook for a bit more information and for ticket details there. That's facebook.com forward slash HO Wrestling. And we're also on Twitter at HO underscore Wrestling and Instagram at hooked underscore on underscore Wrestling. 
fantastic Ooh. stuff. We, well done, mate. You're getting better and better at that every week. And bless, bless you for all the stick that I give you. Basically, I hate that job. So uh, I just, uh, I just hand over to uh, uh, to Paul to um, uh, to do that bit of a job. Um, I just want to have a little quick look on uh, uh, on Facebook. We um, we put that out earlier on to say about uh, what matches or what feuds I should say have been worse in the last 20 years after Paul's proclamation earlier on. Um, but uh, we've got a few that um, uh, DX versus Legacy was worse. It's a bit nope. There's nothing. Nothing that sticks out there to me that uh, that was worse. Um, Batista versus Carly. Basketballs don't hold grudges. Says uh, Zach Sutton was uh, was worse. Um, Triple H and Kane. Katie Vick. Mm, that's got to be a contender, isn't it? The old uh, yeah, Katie Vick there. stuff. Um, Liam O'Connor defends the um, uh, the matches a little bit between um, Orton and uh, Wyatt. He says later on that. Uh, um, the second match at Mania was a joke, and the third match at Hor- House of Horrors was a mess. But the storyline to begin with was uh, was not too bad. He says, all in all, I wouldn't say it's a worse feud than, for example, Titus O'Neil versus Rusev. So I think he's uh, um, judging some of the the better stuff against some of the worse stuff there. Um, uh, <laughs> maybe the worst use of potential says Tom Forster. But Natalia versus Nikki happened a few months ago, so not even the worst this year. Um, another mention for uh, Katie Vick from uh, Thomas Broom Jones. And uh, Dennis O'Reilly um, says of what you said, Paul, uh, it's a bullshit opinion. Um, so, uh, <laughs> Thanks, Dennis. I like he, he's, he's my favourite. Uh, right. <laughs> I think we should, we should do this more often. More of these, more of these, please. Yes. More social media things in the middle of doing podcasts so we can get Paul being called names live. <laughs> um, <laughs> excellent. In terms of being called names, they didn't call you a jabroni... They didn't tell you to go and fetch yourself a glass of shut-up juice, and they didn't call you various other things that was the staple of the man known as The Rock. Never has there been someone more electrifying, never has there been someone that used the word monkey ass in a more heterosexual way. Um, Let us talk about the career of The Rock um, by the... um, virtue of we're going to pick our favourite rock matches Paul and me that is um, we are going to suggest our favourite rock matches ever and Rich is going to be the judge um, if you missed last week's show but you are familiar with the uh, Wrestlemania mixtape concept we were doing similar sort of thing so the idea is that we're going to have a little bit of a um, let's call it a, res- a wrestling time capsule which is the, the uh, what Joel Ross liked for uh, the Wrestlemania deal so let's call it the res- wrestling time capsule where we would um encapsulate one match for each wrestler um, that we choose to do week on week so um, we already have Bret Hart in the bank um, and we selected I believe the um, Bret Hart versus Stone Cold Steve Austin match from Wrestlemania 13 so that already lives in the time capsule and this week we are going to pick one for The Rock it was Ash Rose on the show last week who helped us choose and he set the task of The Rock so Paul is about to go first and tell us which rock match he feels should go into the time capsule the best of times for The Rock what are you saying Paul? well um, for a guy that wasn't known for his in-ring work there's a hell of a lot to choose from when you look back at this Um, the guy had pretty much great matches ever since sorry since from becoming The Rock onwards he had great matches at the intercontinental level he had great matches at world title level um, he had great singles matches he had great 
matches in tag team situations, in triple threat situations, etc. Um, what I don't want to do is probably, frankly, going to cost me the decision this week. But what I don't want to do is just for this to become a rerun of our WrestleMania contest because I suppose that the top two matches that I first thought of are both matches that were put into our time capsule, discussed at length there, and you know, like, for better or worse, I, I'm I'm just going to avoid them completely, um, and I'm going to go I'm going to go elsewhere, and I'm actually going to go with um, a match that. Many people will know about, but probably less people would have seen. And it's at Judgment Day 2000. Um, and it was The Rock versus Triple H. And it was an Iron Man match. Um, and do you know the reason I'm going now? And I'll, I'll hold my hands up. I'll hold my hands up now and say, technically, it wasn't the best match of The Rock's career. I know that. But what it was, was to me, The Rock showing everybody, you know, me included, that this guy could get it done in the ring. He could do, he could put, go in there for a whole hour and wrestle a hugely entertaining match against Triple H, who, let's be honest, in the year 2000, Triple H was at his absolute peak as a heel, one of the greatest heel years anybody's ever had. The Rock had one of the best babyface years anybody's ever had, and those two in the ring meeting for an hour it was just phenomenal, phenomenal TV. Great match. Um, they they showed it to me, you know, and obviously we got a few bells and whistles at the end with the return of the Undertaker, which was superb, really well done, really exciting with that new character. Got a bit of interference from DX. You had Shawn Michaels a special guest referee, but the thing that strikes me is just how much Rock proved on that night. Um, I think it's absolutely leaps and bounds ahead of the Iron Man match at WrestleMania 12 between Brett and Shawn. Um, who are known as the you know the workers' workers? I, I just thought it absolutely left that in the dust. Um, I think it was comparable with the best Iron Man match I've ever seen, which was um, Lesnar Angle. Um, I think it was right up there. Um, and for that reason, I'm going Judgment Day 2000 Rock Triple H Iron Man match. That sir is a very good choice, and it's one that I definitely had. Um high up in my mind because I think that Rock Triple H rivalry through 2000 is a really 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 um, good rivalry um, yeah. it's under it's underrated um, you know for what it is um, I don't think necessarily that uh, people always talk about Rock Austin in various different areas but Rock Austin you know was a feud really before Rock got to the, the main level um and I think, you know, once The Rock got there, The Rock and Austin didn't touch all that much. And when they did, um, I'm not sure it was as good as just beforehand. So I like The Rock Triple H stuff because it really was the two best in the industry at that point. Um, I'm going to go on a slightly different route with this. I actually was expecting you to say a different match. And I was going to come down sort of differently on that. We'll talk about that in just, um, just a second, perhaps. Mm-hmm. But... Um, I'm going to go with what I thought was a really um, interesting moment where The Rock passed things over, and I'm going to go. I'm going to go with The Rock versus Brock Lesnar, and it's. I'm very very torn with this because on one hand I'm not sure that's what they were trying to do with The Rock, in terms of the way they changed the, the over at that point, but I think Lesnar was absolutely the right person to go with at that stage. We're in 2002 here. Um, you know, it was 
I, I think a real masterclass from The Rock at the time because Lesnar was this big brooding you know Hulk that looked really intimidating and absolutely could wrestle obviously we know his amateur wrestling background but he was a very inexperienced pro wrestler at the time and I think that if you watch that match again Rock coaxes him through it at certain points um, and The Rock ch- kind of changes his character in the match that similar to Rock Hogan which was where I thought you might go um, until you said about the um, not picking WrestleMania matches, um, the Rock went into that Hogan match as the babyface, but clearly the crowd cheered for Hogan, and so the Rock kind of switched. He does it a little bit in this in this Lesnar match. He realizes the crowd are for Lesnar, and they kind of want the Rock to go away. And you still got to play your part, and that match made Lesnar. In the same way that we talked last week about um, the Bret Hart Steve Austin match, although Bret won that match. It's the match that made Austin. I'm kind of trying to pick the match that made Lesnar. Because I really do think if that hadn't have been against The Rock, if it had been against someone else, I think it might have gone down a different path. But one of the arts of being a good pro wrestler is not only to do the right thing for yourself, but for your opponent. And on that night, he was asked to do the um, to do the role for Lesnar. Uh, one of the things... We'll, we'll come back in a second and ask Richard his, um, his opinion on, uh, on those two and, and to put a Rock match in. Um, but you know, let's feel free all of us to chip in with some uh, some other matches from his career. Um, I do think that Rock is a great example of like if we are doing we did Bret Hart last week, and I think we could have done 15 Bret Hart matches that are better than the two Rock ones we've just mentioned. Mm-hmm. Um, but at no point did Bret Hart ever deliver a promo as well as the Rock could at, at 70% of his best. It's all about the different qualities that different people have. Um, and you know, goodness knows, The Rock's 20 best matches are probably better than Hogan's best ever. And it's that kind of thing where you're not necessarily always judging it on quality of match in terms of the in-ring match. And The Rock and Stone Cold and others in that era were not necessarily asked to. If you go and watch Raw from the Attitude Era, which is so revered, um, there's almost no good wrestling on Raw. Um, there's you know, there are three-minute matches here and there. Then there's a big main event with some big stars. When then there's a smiles and whatever. There was not, and even on the pay-per-views, it wasn't a great wrestling era. It was all about the the edginess and the characters and the stories. And fair play because there's never been any more money drawn than in that era. But the wrestling that we see today is way better than in the Attitude Era. We are so much better off in terms of regular matches on Raw and on pay-per-views. Yeah. Um, like I say, different eras, and I just think the Rock. The Rock is a classic. Rock didn't have very many bad matches, but he didn't have many good ones either. Many really, really, really top shelf ones. When, when, if we were to try and do some sort of best hundred matches ever, we wouldn't be throwing too many Rock ones in there, um, as opposed to loads of Brett ones and loads of Shawn Michaels ones and Flair ones and, and whoever else. Um, so I found this really difficult. And well done, Ash, for picking a, a quite a tricky topic. I think. Um, but I've gone with the one I've picked. Um, if I'd have said Rock Hogan, for example, Rich, would I have been barking up the wrong tree with that kind of one? Because what I didn't want it to be was something totally different um, to everything else. Um, because to me, that's a match that kind of stands alone. Yeah, the when you think of WrestleMania moments, they use that now as an absolute cliche for every wrestler. Every wrestler now needs a WrestleMania moment. But they don't. There are WrestleMania moments, and Hulk Hogan versus The Rock was a moment, but it wasn't a match. It was... uh, Kevin Owens is brilliant at drawing heat just by leaving the ring, and most of the noise 
of that was the wrestlers going in and out the ring. There, there wasn't very much wrestling going on in that event. So I, I don't think if you were going to say the greatest match in The Rock's career, I think that would be way off for me. Um, I am a massive Rock fan. Um, he is probably the reason why I still love wrestling today. And Cool. And it was, it was interesting that... Um, Paul was mentioning and, and you mentioned about the Triple H feud it was that feud which got me emotionally invested it's the kind of thing which The, the Rock could do he he made you if you weren't that six year old boy want to be that six year old boy it, he made the matches kind of actually matter like when when Triple H would beat The Rock I would be as upset as I would be watching Brighton lose for me, it, it, it really matters. Where, where, and I can't remember whether I knew wrestling was fake or not at the time. And at the time, I don't think it really matters. All I knew is I wanted The Rock to win and to be the champion because he made me invest like that. And I think that's what makes him quite so amazing. But again, when you think about it, as you said, he is an absolute legend on the mic. And when you think of The Rock, I could probably think of four or five good promos he did when he, he's putting T-shirts on coaches' heads and he's... Uh, He's talking about Strudel or Lillian Garcia, and he's doing a little prayer about Billy Gunn and the Big Show and things like that. But when it comes to matches, <laughs> even I before this this show had to go. Hold on, what, what are some of his uh, his his best matches? But I, I would out, out of the. You don't want me to give you your answer on your two yet, do you? No, don't don't answer us yet. But um, certainly, if uh, if you take those two out of the equation, what would have been the one or two that you'd be uh, wrestling with in your mind that you could have offered? Up? Uh, WrestleMania 17 is the lock for me. Um, I think that uh, I I didn't hear your your guys show about WrestleMania. Unfortunately, I was in Portugal. But for me, that that was one of the greatest WrestleManias of all time, and and, and the main event to boot. Uh, I didn't enjoy WrestleMania 19. A lot of people really liked that. I felt it was kind of we have to put these two guys on the cards because they're the Rock and Austin and I, I didn't feel that they actually needed to be there um, and going back to the, the, the Triple H Rock feud, I really enjoyed their ladder match I think it was SummerSlam 98 I think that yeah, was really good yeah, that's a good call that's a good call SummerSlam yeah, that was, that was that really good, wasn't it? fantastic so, that's a good one um, Paul, did at any point, because I know I did any point did you consider saying either of the Cena matches? No, no, I didn't. I did. The other ones I considered were the one you went for um, was what was one I was thinking. Um, I also thought about um, Vengeance. I think it was two thousand and one with the Undertaker in a triple threat and Kurt Angle. Mm. Um, that was another one I was thinking of. Again, just trying to discount the WrestleMania ones entirely. Um, uh, they were the ones that were contenders for me. No, never, re- never really thought of the Cena match at all. Or matches, I quit with so. uh, Mankind. That's a good one. But you know what? Yeah, no, it's not, it's not I could never pick off. those kind of one. Yeah, I think that's. I think me and Paul sort of share a bit of a, a bond on that one. Is that I'd never be able to put in a match that had all those chair shots and and whatever. Oh, admittedly, of its day and the, the the emotion and whatever, I can understand, but. Um, yeah, for me, I'd be really, I'd be really struggling with that one. I, I did consider um, the Cena, um, the first Cena match when it did feel like a really big deal, you know, you know, the, the once in a lifetime <laughs> match that was uh, that was repeated a year later. But um, I did like that one. Um, I, I like the Rock Punk match actually, but um, it was a bit too obvious that, that Rock was going to win. Um, 
the Austin thing. What I have with Rock and Austin was that all of all three of those. The first one, I think, is okay, but you're expecting a bit more at the time. The second one's a great match with a terrible finish. I hate the finish of WrestleMania 17 with the with the, the Vince thing. To me, that ruins it completely. And 19 is a good match and it's two icons, but other than the fact that it's Austin's last match, I don't think it really. It's not a massive place in history to me. Um, I don't think of that as being the match that I go to when I think of WrestleMania 19. Um, so that pushes all those Austin ones out for me. The two opponents. If we were talking, we we nearly did this in a different way. This segment, where we nearly, rather than talking about a match, we nearly talked about the perfect opponent, the perfect rival, and that would have been a very very different conversation. Where you talk about the Rock has a lot of candidates for that. Mm. Instinctively, you go Rock Austin. I would probably vote Rock Triple H in terms of the rival that we're talking about. That you know, Paul's obviously put a specific match forward. Rivalry wise, I thought those two really had it going on, but two more that would absolutely stand out in The Rock's history would be The Rock and Kurt Angle and The Rock and Chris Jericho who had unbelievable chemistry I thought between those two you know between Rock and Angle and between Rock and Jericho yep. from Jericho's first day um, and from various other moments where The Rock and Angle possibly better than anyone else in history and I mean this were able to combine comedy and seriousness in a moment, in a heartbeat. They could do a really funny segment between the two of them, but an hour later they could want to tear each other's head off and you'd, you'd feel like they'd meant it. Angle probably slightly more because obviously he had that, that you know Olympic edge to him, but The Rock was able to do those funny promos and then suddenly cut in and go, but I'm coming for your title. And I really liked that dynamic. I loved And Jericho has got that to an extent as well, and I loved the dynamic of those, but there was no one match that sprung to my mind. There was... I can think of a whole bunch of matches. I'm not very good at picking out the individual pay-per-views, but I can certainly think of two or three for each of those feuds where I can say, oh, yeah, I remember the Rock and Angle wrestling this match where, you know, Angle won the title or, you know, when Jericho, you know, did this. I think it might have been a Raw Rumble where they did a, a Rock and Jericho thing, maybe for the WCW title as it was at the time. But all these things are kind of, like, conflated in my mind. And because none of them stand out, to me, they can't be good enough to be my selection, if you see what mm. I mean. But... um it does reinforce this idea that Rock had a lot of... I don't like talking about star systems, it's a bit marky, but Rock, if, if we were to go by those you know, rules, the, the Rock had a lot of between three and four star matches yeah. that were really good of their time and worked where they did, but they're not necessarily ones that you go back and say, you know, I'm going to watch this over and over. If you were to describe The Rock to someone that had never watched wrestling, you would talk about his catchphrases and his eyebrow and the way he spoke and um, that's what you would describe The Rock as you wouldn't describe The Wrestler and that's not a knock on his wrestling because he was perfectly acceptable but if there's if you distill wrestling into 100 you know to 100% of wrestlers ever Rock is probably in terms of credible in-ring work he's probably in somewhere between 60 and 70% of all time you know I wouldn't have said there was you know all that many better but you know a fair few that you can point to and plenty worse obviously but it was his all-round, to me, his all-round aura. And listen, I talk as not the biggest rock fan. I can take or leave the rock in certain ways. He would not be anywhere near the top of my list for people that I would want to go and see. However, there's no doubting someone's effect on crowds and on drawing and on buy rates and on uh, everything. And, and his charisma is just completely undoubted. I wish some of his material was a bit more grown-up. Even when he comes back these days, I find it a bit childish. I think you're a 40-odd-year-old man. Like, grow up. 
I, I, I was a big Cena guy in that in that Cena Rock feud. I was like, I thought Cena was more likable, looked tougher. <laughs> I don't see why you would side with Rock over Cena, but hey, that's just me. Um, so that's kind of um, that's my my Rock take. Richard's already said about him being the one of the reasons he was still in it. Any more um, any more matches that we haven't covered, Paul? Um, nothing that springs to mind that really needs some attention. Okay, what about some of the um, the worst elements? We don't want to make this the uh, the same length of time. We're always talking about this as slightly tongue in cheek because we're talking about all time greats in this segment. So yeah. clearly, a lot of the uh, the stuff that they did that was bad is not going to take up so much room. But there must have been some letdowns. There must have been some things where you were talking, "Oh, this is going to be a great rock match," and you kind of went, "Oh, that didn't work." Do you know what? It's funny. Um, you mentioned it quite uh, well earlier about the three to four star range matches, and when you look at Rock's career. It was unbelievably consistent in that there weren't that many fantastic matches, but there wasn't a lot of bad in there, full stop either. There were just, just, I was racking my brains to try and think of stuff that was truly, really awful. Um, and I, I just couldn't come up with anything of any great substance. The, the stuff that really sticks out is obviously pre, pre the rock stuff when he was rocking my beer. Yeah. Um, the, the one that sticks out like a sore thumb is the rock versus the Sultan. Um, oh, sorry, Rocky Maivia versus Sultan at WrestleMania 13. Um, pretty stinky match. Um, just it was in that period where he was being presented as the be all and end all and the next big star, and the crowd was just farting on it. And um, it, 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 and the Sultan, Christ, who is the Sultan? Who you know? Who cares? What a stupid opponent for a WrestleMania if you got an upcoming star? Um, so yeah, I just thought that was pretty poor. Um, in terms of big na- big time stuff that I didn't particularly care for, the o- again, the only thing that really strikes me as being a bit of a head scratcher. Do you remember just before? I can't remember. It was just before, or just after the Royal Rumble in '99. They did the uh, empty arena brawl. Yes. With the Rock and Mankind. Yeah. Yeah. Just appallingly poor television in every way. Um, two guys just thrown playing temping bowling with each other using themselves as bowling balls in rows of seats um, who can knock the most over in, in any given time just just dull boring and stupid at half time in the Super Bowl so I was going to say half time in the Super Bowl and, and comparable I would say to the um, to the House of Horrors in the, in the in the sense of the I seem to recall the stupid camera angle coming down on the rock's chest which was totally implausible on the forklift. So it's a similar sort of taking you right out of the moment um, debacle. Yeah, I'd say I'd say you're dead right there, mate. Actually, yeah. Good comparison. Anything for you, Rich? I'm obviously obviously you're a, you're a rock fan, and Paul has found it difficult to find some um, some points. I should say that we're not. Nece- this is things that we're not necessarily throwing the blame on Dwayne Johnson. Um, it could have been that he had a bad night at the office, but we're more talking about in this bit bad segments bad characters bad feuds that were more thrust upon him or simply there just wasn't the um uh, the chemistry when we were talking about Brett last week we talked about the uh the summer that Brett had where he had to have the 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 tough WrestleMania match against Backlund and then he was wrestling Isaac Yankum and and those kind of things but well, that's clearly not Brett's fault but it's not the it certainly wouldn't be considered the uh, the highlights of his career by any stretch. It's like, is there an, an era for The Rock where he was having to do that kind of thing? Yeah, well, th- th- there's one thing which immediately comes to mind. W- one, you just mentioned feuds, though. Uh, I just want to mention one one more nice thing, and I, I really enjoyed his work with the Hamburglar. 
with with Hurricane, and I, I oh, thought that yes. was really nicely done. Actually, I th- I thought it, it gave a good rub to the Hurricane. It kind of brought the rock over quite well, and and I just thought it it was really well done. When it comes to disappointment, though, um, got to be honest, WrestleMania Star, as uh, Steve Austin was calling it, um, the WrestleMania in Dallas, where the Rock defeated Ooh. Eric Rowan in record time. I found that really disappointing because the year before you had him in the ring with Ronda Rousey and Stephanie McMahon and Triple H you thought that could be epic then you had that little backstage segment about six months later I think it was on the Smackdown with Triple H and The Rock and going back to their whole feud all before that just got me very excited the thinking of oh you could have Rock versus Triple H maybe Rousey in one corner maybe Stephanie McMahon in the other one more time that could be good and in the end they have this really weird promo with The Rock with Bray Wyatt basically saying Bray Wyatt you're going to be great it's all a bit weird and then I'm going to break a record here faces Eric Rowan and pins him and just thought what's the point of that I would actually have rather have spent these last 15 minutes seeing someone who's actually been on the card who's been busting their ass for the last 12 months actually get a proper match on this on this card rather than see The Rock kind of do that I love The Rock but I don't like it when these guys literally come out and wave their arm and say uh, do you smell what The Rock is cooking or when Austin comes out and just throws beers everywhere I'd, I'd rather not see that that's a really good shout. That's a really good shout. I don't care for that either, and it's um, it's a fair point. Is, is it the right use of him? Um, certainly, you expected a bit more when he was to come out. Um, I'm going to point to something that um, Paul has kind of, in a roundabout way, alluded to. You talked about the uh, the Sultan, and you went, "Who is the Sultan?" You said. Now, I you said that in a rhetorical fashion. I, I assume that you know exactly mm. who was playing the Sultan. Um, and you were not really, really asking that question. But for anyone that doesn't know, which is going to be very few people, um, it is the gentleman um, known as Fatu or Rikishi um, that was in uh, the Sultan outfit. And I actually think one of the bigger disappointments later on in Rock's career was, I did it for you, Rock. I did it for the Rock. When they tried to have, when they had the Rikishi running over Austin thing. Now, admittedly, you could say that's a Rikishi Austin feud, but. Rikishi getting involved and trying to help Rock and costing him matches and you know the whole um, family saga it never worked did it I think they did Rock Rikishi matches and they had that period where they had a pretty fixed top level that had the Rock in it and Stone Cold and Triple H and Mick Foley and Kurt Angle and then once or twice you got like a Jericho sneak in or a, a Benoit sneak in and they were always looking for someone else to do it and obviously Undertaker was in there that whole time but they decided that Rikishi was going to be their guy. They were going to put Rikishi as the next one to put up into that bracket. And it just never worked. And it just... They tried to do it with Austin. They tried to do it with Rock. They tried to do it with Taker. And none of them were able to get Rikishi up into that echelon because he'd been he'd been dancing in a thong for too long, quite <laughs> frankly. And there was a reason he was over because he was this fun figure in a fun era. And you can't suddenly click your fingers start having him say I'm a bad man and not have people just remember the fact that he's basically got his trunks up his ass. so I think uh, it was a mistake and that's not, uh, like you were saying it's very hard to find down things with Rock obviously that's a down thing with Rikishi really but Rock was certainly involved in that and they tried to use Rock and actually it probably hurt him more than it helped him I would say during the during that period okay I think we're ready then I think to um, 
to put Rich in the dock. Well, no, he's not in the dock. He's the, he's the judge. It's the opposite <laughs> way around. He's the judge putting uh, putting the decision down, putting him on the spot to go with. Are you going to go with me? Are you going to go with the fact that uh, I have said Rock versus Brock Lesnar? Um, I haven't stipulated an event because I'm not not sure. I think it was SummerSlam 2002. Yeah, it was. Um, are you going to go with Brock Lesnar versus The Rock? SummerSlam 2002, the uh, the coming out party really of uh, Brock Lesnar hitting the big time for the first time 15 years ago nearly. Uh, or are you going to go with Paul's suggestion, The Rock versus Triple H, Judgment Day 2000, Iron Man match, Shawn Michaels, Undertaker, Shane McMahon, all sorts of stuff going on. Uh, but a very memorable match nonetheless. What is your choice, my friend, to put in the time capsule for the... Well, run? I think you both put some great, compelling arguments. Uh, I think you're completely right. I think it did help elevate Brock Lesnar, certainly in that era. I also think when um, Brock Lesnar did the bear hug on Hulk Hogan, that helped him as well, but I think that was a, a real turning point. Um, but I'm going to go with Paul. Uh, I think the Triple H-Rock feud was sensational, and you know, in an Iron Man match, returning an Undertaker, everything like that. I'm I'm gonna go with that match between Triple H and The Rock, the Iron Man match. Woo! Fair enough. I really, really like that match, and I I particularly like that 2000 feud. Um, they had a match at Backlash, I think, the 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 show before that, which was also really good, and Austin interfered at the end, so there was a, a little bit of a run of a similar sort of thing, but um. Uh, yeah, a decent choice. Um, I was really, really, really struggling to pick. I could have picked one of about five or six there for mine, so I didn't have a lot of um, uh, courage of my convictions on this one. Last week I knew, despite the fact that I had a lot of Bret Hart matches to choose from, um, I always knew I was going to choose Bret Austin. Um, so I would admit to this week to not having quite the same courage of my convictions. Plenty of people will be out there saying... Um, why didn't we do Rock Austin? Why didn't we do Rock so-and-so? Hey, it's the way the feature goes, guys. This is how it works. So in the time capsule, we now have Brett the Hitman Hart versus Stone Cold Steve Austin from WrestleMania 13. And joining it is The Rock versus Triple H from Judgment Day 2000. Uh, we need to put something else with it. We need a third candidate to talk about next week. I should also say, by the way, that when we discuss... Triple H in the future, we will not put that Judgment Day match in again, it is in there already. When we discuss Steve Austin in the future we will not put the Bret Hart WrestleMania 13 match again, that is already in. We will source alternative matches, although it could be with the same opponent. Um, but it is not up to us what goes in, it is not even up to us the topic in question. So Richard Parr, it is now your task to give us a topic for discussion on next week's podcast with guest judge TBA but who are they going to be presiding over in terms of the talent available? It is from the WWE Hall of Fame. It is the Rated R Superstar Edge. Ooh. Well, okay. okay. So we're moving. Uh, we're moving forward, sort of half a generation, I suppose. Although Edge and The Rock would have been uh, contemporaries in the Attitude Era. Rock would have been on top by then, and Edge just sort of coming through with the Brood. But fast forward. A few years, and Edge had a uh, several title runs. Was the face of SmackDown for a bit. I think it's fair to say you wouldn't put Edge in the same bracket as Bret and Rock, but he's probably in the next one down. Is that a fair comment, Rich? Yeah, I think definitely so. Uh, I think he is. He is that tier just below, isn't he? Paul, happy with uh, Rich's choice? Oh wait, mate, plenty of choice there. Yeah, you're a big Edge fan, aren't you? So um, uh, it's um. 
that's going to be a fun one. It's going to be a fun one. We've got a lot of thinking to do uh, in this week that's coming. Um, guys, this has been uh, brilliant, absolutely fascinating. I thought we were going to talk more about lots of other subjects, but uh, as usual with this, um, we just have so much fun and we end up running uh, that little bit long. Um, but uh, Rich, you're uh, you're on two. Everyone else is on one as far as these podcasts go. So you're uh, you're leading on that front. But uh, we will definitely make it three at some point in the future. It's great having you on. Um, good to listen to um, uh, your opinions. Just give us a little quick plug or two about your um, uh, your social media, Sportachino, all that kind of yeah, thing. Yeah, Sportachino still going. Sportachino.com, and you can find us everywhere: Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, all under the same handle: S P O R T U C C I N O. We're making Wednesdays a show all about wrestling, and in fact, next Wednesday, which I believe will be the tenth, I think, we will be live with Al Snow. Awesome. Excellent stuff. Brilliant. Well, we uh, we wish you continued luck with uh, those ventures. We're um, we're fans of yours, and we'll definitely have you uh, back on in here uh, in the future. Paul, we've got some studying to do with the rated R superstar in the next week. I uh, hope you're up for the challenge. Uh, yep. Yeah, on that day, I will see clearly. <laughs> lovely stuff. That's a lovely way to end things, I think. So uh, don't forget to check us out all over social media. Check out the uh, Something to Wrestle with Bruce Pritchard tour in the UK in July. Something you do not want to miss. But for, for now, for Paul Benson, for Richard Pyre, this is Rob McNichol saying this is the Hooked on Wrestling podcast and this is wrestling. Enjoy it. We'll see you next week.